talk a lot about culture shock on this show, what it's like when a Canadian lands abroad, what scares them and unsettles them, and what makes them yearn for the familiar. What we don't often talk about is reverse culture shock. According to Dean Foster, the founder and president of DFA Intercultural Global Solutions, reverse culture shock is experienced when returning to a place that one expects to be home, but actually is no longer. It is far more subtle and therefore more difficult to manage than outbound shock precisely because it is unexpected and unanticipated. Now I'm quoting here from an article on expatica.com that was published on July 31st, 2020. The article also says that reverse culture shock is when you feel like you're wearing contact lenses in the wrong eyes. Everything looks almost right. It's definitely a first world problem and an interesting one that I'm excited to explore. So join me as we pick up where we left off with a guest we spoke with over four years ago about her experience living in North Africa on Canadians Away. Welcome to Canadians Away. I'm your host, Adam Rosenhart, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. When I first spoke with Emily Mattingsley, she was only 10 months into her experience living in Morocco. She'd moved to Mohammedia to teach English, learn Arabic, and surf whenever she could. Now, she's back home in Edmonton after a lengthy span of time abroad. I ended up staying for four years. Was that, was that more than what you had planned? Well, when I had first moved there, I was kind of along the lines of like, I'm going to go teach abroad for a year. But even at that time, I remember hoping that something more could come of the experience. I remember hoping that it could in some ways change the path of my life. And I was hoping that I wouldn't just be back in Edmonton, back to my previous life the year before. I mean, that's probably like the depth of it that 10 months in, I maybe knew within myself, but hadn't really acknowledged that I was hoping to change my path. Yeah. And it, it, it sounds like that didn't exactly happen. It actually did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it actually very, very much did. It very much did. That's exactly how I would describe that experience was life changing and, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was it, so you were there, you wound up there for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like spending like almost half of a decade in a, in a country that wasn't Canada, that was different? I mean, you seemed pretty comfortable the first time we talked. I was comfortable very early on and that comfort remained. And I did feel very integrated into the culture and in that country. I, I continued to learn Arabic at like a pretty impressive pace to many Moroccans, like not to myself, like I, I'm not going to give myself too much credit for it, but like I was able to function without, without limit in like the ways I needed in life in Morocco in Arabic. And um, I had my French obviously to, to really help me out in a country that was a former French colony. Um, but then 
Yeah, just on many levels, shopping, eating, living, interacting with locals. Um, it all became very second nature. And whenever my friends would come to visit is when I would notice how integrated I was. Mm. Yeah, and I imagine they did too, right? Like they were probably pretty impressed with how you were able to get by speaking the language. Yeah, yeah. People would often come and just be like, I can't believe it. We just walk into a shop and she just like starts talking to the person working and we come out with what we need. And I have no clue what has transpired in the last few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. It would also just be a lot of things like, um, you know, when people would come visit, they'd be like, oh, my God, there's just camels on your road. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably pretty unusual. We don't even see yeah. that. And I, I mean, I would have been doing my little Instagram story videos of that, you know, in my first year, my first year and a half. But really, really, once it got past like 18 months, it was just like, this is my life. This is day to day. And about a year and a half in, I really didn't know what the timeline would be for me staying there. But what I knew is that I had no plans to leave and that that was where I living. That's where I was living. This was my life. This is what was working great. Mm -hmm. And I was just riding that wave, if you will. That's awesome. Speaking of riding waves, I mean, that's that's part of the reason that you moved there. You, in the in the episode we recorded in 2016, you talked about um, your experience living abroad in New Zealand because you wanted to surf and that sort of brought you that, that desire brought you to Morocco. And I remember you saying distinctively, uh, you wanted to live in a place where you could go surfing either before work or after work. And it just was just like one of those, like going out for a walk, right? Did, yeah. did you take a lot of advantage of that? Did you surf all the time? Oh, less and less the more time went on, believe it or not. Right? <laughs> Even just hearing you say that, that's, that's the kind of thing that makes me chuckle. I mean, and it's not because I don't really view it as any kind of failure. I just think of it as more of like the evolution of my personal journey of living in Morocco and the ways that I changed and the ways that I just came to start thinking about my life and my priority and my values and what I really wanted differently. And yeah, when I first moved there, it was like, why well, work a nine to five? Like, I just want to go surf and like chill by the beach and like have a permanent vacation. And this is going to be the best. And it was the best until it wasn't the best, right? Like it was awesome until I kind of had to ask myself, like, is this what you want in another 10 years? Or is this what you want in another 20 years? Like what, what do you, what do you hope your life looks like in a couple decades? And it wasn't living in a dusty surf town in North Africa with a highly transient foreign population. And um, yeah, I was just ready to move on to the next chapter of my life. Was there, this is maybe a, a hard question to answer, but was there like anything specific that happened that made you start thinking that way? Or was it just kind of a natural part of, uh, you know, I don't know how else to say it, but kind of growing up? Mm, it was um, my first year I was living in Mohammedeh, which is a, like basically like a suburb outside of Casablanca, which is a major metropolis of Morocco. So Casablanca, people call it like, you know, the equivalent of like a New York City, like it's massive. It chews you up, spits you out. You have a headache if you're there for 30 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so after my first interview with you, I ended up moving down to southern Morocco along the coast to a tiny fishing village called Tamrakt. Um, which was 20 minutes outside of a city called Agadir. Agadir being a pretty small city, a hundred, like maybe a million people. 
um, pretty calm and quiet and just kind of normal middle-class people going about their day. So I moved to this dusty fishing village with surf tourism about 20 minutes outside of the city. And I was just taking my scooter into the city to work. And the last three years of my life in Morocco were very quiet, um, very um, calming, very rural, and really more about like my own internal deep reflections. Um, in this gorgeous backdrop in a very special magical place that just allowed me the privilege and the time to, yeah, to do a lot of self self growth, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think if it, it sounds very, um, it sounds amazing. It sounds like an incredible opportunity to think about working on yourself. I wonder if most people get that opportunity. Like I, I'm, you know, think about even myself, I've sort of cruised, <laughs> cruised through life and just, yeah, I mean, I've thought about what I want to do and stuff, but never like, never have I, I haven't lived abroad. So I haven't had that chance to be sort of by myself thinking about all this stuff and where I want to take my life. So it sounds like, well, what made you decide to take your life in a certain direction? Like, for example, you were there for three years. You're now you're back in Canada. Was there mm -hmm. something that precipitated that change? Yeah, it was a few things. So even if we think back about the interview that you and I did together, I remember talking very, very positively about my apartment and my living situation and my awesome landlords. And I remember being like, yeah, I live in this like super cute little guest house down by the beach. And I do, I exchange English lessons for the family who owns it. So they give me a cheap rate and they've really taken me in and they're, they're really awesome to me. And I don't know how long after our interview, it, it honestly might've been a few weeks afterwards, um, the tables turned a little bit and they started asking for more money and um, there ended up being some drama and they were kind of like spying on me a little bit. And I won't really get into too much of the details there because it's not necessary, but essentially the whole thing ended in an altercation where I had to like move out in the middle of the night. Oh my God. Um, yeah, and it was, very traumatic and I ended up moving in with a coworker. This was a few weeks before I was coming back to Edmonton for a visit and kind of some other personal um, relationships with some people were kind of coming to a head, if you will. And so I really stopped and looked at my life and looked at the reality of, of where I was and what I was doing and kind of had to ask myself what kind of decisions I was making that was leading me to these not very um, positive experiences. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were, you know, when I came back, they kind of saw me in the midst of this really difficult time that I had just gone through. And a lot of people were quite surprised that I was going, that I was getting on a plane and going back. But I yeah. knew that I knew the story wasn't done. I knew the story, I knew it had only just begun. Like I knew that this was just chapter one and it was time to go back and do the next part. And so, yeah, I was really back in Morocco, just really taking advantage of the time and the space to, yeah, to get in touch with myself. And when I was living in Southern Morocco and Tamarat, with it being a large surf tourism there, there's a large trend in surf um, tourism right now of these surf yoga packages. Mm -hmm. And I have been an experienced yoga practitioner of about over 10 years at this point in time. And people were asking me to teach yoga because they were like, hey, you live in the area. Can you like teach a yoga for my guests for this package? And I kept saying, well, I'm actually not a yoga teacher. And they were like, you're not? <laughs> you're so <laughs> and, totally. They were like, oh, you got, you got the vibe going on. Like, are you sure you can just pretend you're a yoga teacher? And so, 
it inspired me to take a summer off and to head over to India. And I did my yoga teacher training while I was in India for two months. And I um, found myself lost in the Himalayas, meditating with some Buddhist monks for a while and, you know, shaved my head. And um, yeah, and then I, I had, I, I went back to Morocco and reduced the amount of time that I was teaching English um, as a second language. And I started working as a yoga teacher and yeah, I that answered the question. I want to know. That's amazing. No, I love that. <laughs> I mean, th to me, like, that, you know, that takes courage because when, when we spoke first at first you were, your career had been teaching abroad or, or teaching anyway. And it, for you, the way that I was listening or the, what I was hearing you say in that episode is like, that uh, job allowed you to move around and and to live in different places, and that was one of the that seemed to be one of the key reasons you wanted to teach. But you sort of found this other thing, and like, sure, you could you could teach yoga and surf in Morocco, but this is also something you could probably bring with you anywhere in the world as well. I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and it is and it is also funny hearing you say that, yeah, my earlier motivation was really like getting on trains on the weekend and going to explore. And I was flying up to Europe a lot. And once again, at the end of the first year, it was like, hey, this is pretty fantastical, but this job is not financially sustaining mm -hmm. what I'm doing also. And so when I moved down to southern Morocco to the surf town, um, I also ended up becoming friends with some other foreigners living there who had started a grassroots organization to help some street animals. I ended up taking a couple foster dogs in, um, brought two of them back to Canada with me in the end. And uh, yeah, that really hunkered me down. So the traveling completely changed. I became very anchored in, um, I guess, my community service of, of really wanting to get involved with helping a, a few street a few street dogs here and there, getting them rehomed and sent off to Canada and Europe every few months. And um, yeah, it just, mm -hmm, my priorities changed, my values changed. I decided to really hunker down and actually stop chasing whatever I was hoping was waiting for me on the end of every plane. <laughs> It's funny you put it that way. Do you know what you were chasing? Yeah, I was chasing mm, a sense of self. I was chasing um, a more ground, like I was chasing answers that I think a lot of us ask about our life. And I think a lot of us go through our life searching for those answers in other ways, in our career, in our job, in our relationships, in purchasing property. And I don't think those are any you know, less important ways to answer those questions. And for me, I asked by traveling and yeah, eventually came to the answer that I'm going to be with me no matter where I go. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. That's lovely. I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, it sounds like, like you are less bright eyed and bushy tailed than when we spoke, <laughs> you, which is, that's, that's good. I think that's a good thing. Um, you've, you, I just feel confidence from you. Mm, that's so sweet of you to say. Thanks. You seem to be happy with where you're at. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. And I think that that was part of, a move, of moving back to Edmonton was that I 
just was like, I'm ready to just go live in the place where I was born and raised. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as simple as that might sound to other people, it was just like, I was just ready to be like, this is where I'm from. This is where my family is. This is where my roots are. And I'm ready to go back and contribute to that community with everything that I've learned mm-hmm. um, on my various adventures. So that w- doesn't sound like it was a hard decision. It sounds like it was kind of a natural decision. It was a natural decision that slowly came together over um, a long time. It was about a year and a half before I moved home that I started thinking, probably I'll give it another full school year. Like I thought I'll finish out this school year and then I'll do ne- the next one. Like it didn't take me, it didn't take me a day to build the life that I had in Morocco. And so I couldn't really take it down in a day. Like I knew that I wanted to, like that last year was then very special because I kind of like looked at the bucket list and made sure that I finished up a few things I wanted to finish up. I also had to figure out like the paperwork and the bureaucracy involved in like flying home with dogs. Yeah. You know, like wanted to get a couple of my carpets home. And I, you know, I had really accumulated, you know, a full vibrant life of, of, of friends and people and, uh, you know, an apartment full of, full of things. And yeah, so it, it, it took quite a bit of logistical planning to actually get back no doubt um tell me about tell me about what it was like coming home like were you did you have did you experience those feelings of like oh have i made a have i made a huge mistake or or did you feel like like you felt pretty confident you wanted to come home you thought about it for a year and a half was there i guess culture shock when you arrived i have never regretted moving home it's been challenging but i've never like doubted that i did the right next step for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I came home, yeah, I remember just like a few days back, just kind of like, you know, like waking up and being in like my childhood bedroom in my mom's house on a single bed with like four giant suitcases around me and like two dogs sleeping in there with me. Cause you know, my mom doesn't want my Moroccan dogs around the house and just kind of being like, wow, like I am starting all over yeah. again. Like I am completely starting over. Like I'm back. I don't have a job. I don't have a place to live. It was like a much more difficult move than any other trip or move I've done abroad before. It was much more difficult to come back and kind of, you know, it's, you know, we have a much more challenging society to really get on your feet, get moving, you know, secure the resources you need to, start functioning again you know like it was yeah it was very it was very jarring and i and i'll just remember being so cold like i was just so cold and it was you know like end of september and i was (laughs) and i was freezing i was so freezing cold i didn't know how we were going to make it through the winter but it's been it's been totally fine it's been easy how long have you been back now so i moved back i flew back september 21st so four or five, four months, five months. I don't know. Okay. So it hasn't been that long. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, I guess not. Um, I was going to say, it sounds like it feels like it's been longer though. Yeah. The more time goes on, the easier it has become. So every week got easier. And so now I feel pretty um, settled, Um, you know, like getting a couple paychecks in, kind of realizing like, okay, I I will get another one of these every month because (laughs) during the move, I, I never realized that I I really didn't like, I, I went 
five months without a paycheck over the course of the move. And I never really realized that. And it's funny because um, something I kind of often share with people kind of humorously is like, hey, now I know what I would do differently if I internationally moved across the world with two dogs. But I hope that I never, ever do that again. So, <laughs> so now I know how to do it a lot more intelligently, but let's hope like I never will put myself through that again. Yeah. But to, well, be honest, to be honest with you, Adam, the most jarring part of moving home was just how busy everybody is. If I can be honest, I moved back and that was the number one biggest piece of culture shock for me was just like reaching out to friends and people loving you and people caring about you and people being glad you're home. And it just being like, yeah, so glad you're back. What about like the following Thursday for lunch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and just kind of realizing, realizing that like the days of 10 friends being in a WhatsApp chat, sending a text out at noon, kind of saying like, let's hang out for dinner tonight. And like, you know, seven people rocking up to the same restaurant, you know, seven hours after the initial invitation text, just like isn't going to happen anymore. Yeah. It's so. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I wonder, is this a function of growing up or is this is this a North American thing? My opinion is it's a North American thing. Yeah. And that's something that I'll never be able to, like, wash myself rid of from those immersive years, as you said, of, like, what it's like to spend half a decade somewhere is just seeing how we in North America and in these very capitalist consumerist societies just allow ourselves to participate in this quick, fast pace of life in which like the number one priority is to be like a good producer for our society and to do your part to contribute to like the churning of the wheel of the systems. And now I do probably sound like someone who hung out in North Africa for half a decade, but <laughs> you can hear that. But, but really be, you know, and then, and then we kind of like look at these other societies through this very singular lens of the singular story of what we're told Africa looks like, or what we're told a quote unquote developing country looks like. And when you're there, that's not really the experience. When you're there, the experience is people kind of saying like, you know, yeah, we're going to take two hour lunch breaks. Like this matters. Sitting down to properly digest a meal and to do it with a few of our coworkers that we care about or to go home and spend with our family. Like, this is what's important. Like spending time with the people we love, making sure we give our bodies enough time to rest, giving ourselves enough time to cook wholesome, um, delicious, healthy meals with food from our local community is, is something that like we won't compromise on for the sake of money. Yeah. Yeah, every metric we have uh, as a society measures output, mm -hmm. and, and that's just the way it is. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, you know, if you have any advice for people on how we can slow things down, that would be incredible because uh, it's something I'm certainly working on in my life. Mm. As well. Mm. well, it's so funny you say that because when you had originally said, "Oh, well," it, you know, it sounds like this journey did just bring you back to where you were before, but not at all, because um, since being back in Canada, I, well, in Morocco, I was teaching um, yoga and meditation. And then along with that, I was also developing my own business for women's um, holistic sexual wellness. Mm 
And um, that's something that now that I'm back in Canada, I'm taking very seriously and I'm really allowing myself to commit to. And um, that was also a part of moving back to Canada is I had started this wonderful new journey as a spiritual entrepreneur in Morocco. And I'm incredibly grateful for like the safe, supportive, small community that I had there that allowed me to start experimenting and trying that stuff out. But inevitably I felt like I was outgrowing it and it was time to move back to North America where people really want to hear this message and people really want tools for their day-to-day -day life so that they can, you know, start aligning their choices with their values also. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's huge. Mm -hmm. So that's part of what you're doing back here in Edmonton. Yes. Yes. Back here in Edmonton. Yeah. It's taken a while to get it off the ground. So I'm still hoping to find, you know, a studio that I can be in as a weekly teacher, be hosting monthly weekend workshops, but a lot of behind the scenes stuff is happening, which is really exciting. So just a lot of, you know, prioritizing the time that I need to get all of that coffee set up for a website and really reflecting on my businesses values um you know mission vision and um yeah so mm -hmm, it'll be really exciting to fully launch all of that and and allow that to to begin yeah that's great emily that sounds really exciting now yeah. i've noticed on this call because we're on a video call right now your dogs have been orbiting you oh you didn't notice that i was like pushing them away i, I love it i think it's adorable it's fine um I how have they adjusted to life in Edmonton? As you said, you were living in the desert. Now <laughs> it's like the tundra. Yeah. So how are they doing? You know what? They're fine. They love the snow. They yeah. love it. They're fine. I mean, I think anyone who's a dog owner can understand that like, it's usually the owners that need the training, right? Like it's not the dog. <laughs> totally. And so the dogs have been fine, like, you know, popped into a pet shop, got them some little fleece jackets and a little fleece booty, and they've, they've totally been okay. One of my dogs, Gigi, is, uh, belongs to me, and she's like a healthy, robust creature who was a healthy, robust street dog. So she's, she's loving the snow, prancing around. And then my other dog, Finn, was actually a foster dog that I took in for the organization um, long before I moved back, about a year before I moved back. And she was my fourth foster dog. We thought it would be like a simple three months of healing, get her off to Europe because she was sick. But in a, it ended up that she had a very complicated autoimmune disease. And we were unable to get her the medicine or the medical guidance that we needed for her in Morocco. So when it came time to move to Canada, I was like, I still have this foster dog. Yeah, she's coming with me. <laughs> And uh, being in Edmonton, I found an incredible vet, the Holistic Veterinarian Clinic on White Avenue. They've actually been doing free veterinary um, work for Finn, which is incredible. I wrote them a letter about the situation and what the deal was. And they were just super thrilled to, you know, do a good deed and help this wonderful, pleasant dog just, just get back to a, fur, a full coat of fur and back to a healthy life. So hopefully she'll be healthy in another Another three, six months, and then I, I'm I'm planning to rehome her when when oh, she's wow. yeah. So you'll be you'll have one at least one. Yeah, and then I'll go back to visit Morocco and I'll grab a few more lucky ones <laughs> to the beach and do it all over again. <laughs> sounds great. Do you have uh, do you have advice for people coming back uh, to Canada from an expat experience? Is there is there anything that you've learned for yourself that that you mm. think? to others 
Um, just to know that you will have changed and your friends will have changed. And I think it's really important just to allow everything that's different to be different. Mm -hmm. And um, just knowing that you're not, you're not moving back to the life you had before. You're moving back to a place you know where some things will be the same, but just be prepared to start over again. Yeah. You know, you're not really returning to anything. You really are beginning again. Are you, are you happy? Yeah, very. Are you? I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's an honest question because, you know, like for mm -hmm. your day, the experiences you had, very emotional. I am, mm -hmm. I imagine, you know, some people who believe they will travel forever, not saying that, that you're one of those people, but I've talked to a lot of those people that maybe coming home for some of those people might feel like a defeat mm -hmm. or something, you know? Mm -hmm. I guess I was just asking because like you it just your experiences sound incredible and the path you're on sounds amazing and right for mm -hmm. you. Thanks. So Thank I just want I just want to make sure you're good. Yeah, I'm it's I'm very happy and I have also met those people who, you know, have had kind of this dream of this nomadic, never ending lifestyle and um have also felt defeated at the end that it didn't really work out the way they wanted to. And um, yeah, that was a wake up call for me, kind of hearing those experiences and seeing those people. And um, yeah, for me, moving home definitely doesn't feel like a defeat. It feels like the next chapter of my life. And actually a funny thing is that um, now people, I often receive kind of these like projections of people being like, whoa, you had these experiences or you've been to all these places or all these continents. I've had all these wild kind of life changing things happen that we all dream of. And it's funny when like you don't really identify with that version of yourself anymore. Like you really yeah. look back and see that version of yourself of someone who was quite lost and searching and seeking and, you know, wanting to make changes. And so it's, it is quite funny when people kind of, you know, have this like, fantastical social media version of what the experience was actually like when you're like, no, I was like, I was digging in the dirt and like asking the big questions and, and <laughs> yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. social media is a just a complete exaggeration of our lives in whatever way we want it to be so yeah it's it's weird how we sort of take it for granted though like we i know the stuff that i put on there isn't my day-to-day -day, yeah. and but when i see other people's lives i'm just like wow that yeah. person is killing it it's amazing but uh yeah. there's a lot more to the story isn't there Mm -hmm, for sure. And even like, you know, along my own mindfulness journey, whenever I look back at certain pictures or remember certain memories or tell certain stories, instead of, you know, hearing, hearing the story or seeing the picture, I always try to think how, but how did that moment like feel? Like mm -hmm. how, how did that feel for you? And then that usually reveals the truth of, of what was actually going on in that experience. And that's the end of season two, episode seven of Canadians Away. Thanks so much to Emily Mattingsley for sharing her experiences and insights with me. Canadians Away is hosted by me, Adam Rosenhart, and produced by Julie Elford. Information for today's intro came from the article Reverse Culture Shock, What, When, and How to Cope on expatica.com. You can check out the link in the show description. If you're a Canadian with a story to share about living abroad, 
email us at info at canadiansaway.ca and let's keep building this global network of Canadians living abroad. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to Canadians Away wherever pods are cast and please leave us a review, maybe a nice one. You can follow and like us on both Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Canadians Away and you can find us on Twitter at Canadians Pod. Thank you so much for listening and we'll hear from another Canadian living abroad in a couple of weeks.